Mother was concerned about her only son going off to college. She wrote the following letter to their college president. Dear sir, my son has been accepted for the admission to your college, and soon he will be leaving me. I am writing to ask that you give your personal attention to the selection of his roommate. I want to be sure that his roommate is not the kind of person who uses foul language or tells off-colored jokes, smokes, drinks, and chases women. I hope you'll understand why I'm appealing to you directly. You see, this is the first time my son will be away from home except for the three years in the Marine Corps. <laughs> I'd call that a hovering mom. What do you think? <laughs> well, this morning, the title of the sermon is How Do You Spell Release? Maybe you were been around for a while. Remember that old commercial by Alka Seltzer, How Do You Spell Relief? Well, we're going to spell release this morning. We're going to look at a, a mom who took a huge, incredible risk to let go of their son, and we're going to find out about it in Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. We're going to go there in a minute, but I want to give you a little background. I want to bring you up to date. You remember Joseph, who was one of the patriarchs, who was sold into slavery, if you remember, by his brothers, ended up in Egypt, and as a result of many different things, God doing some things behind the scenes, he became the number two in command in all of Egypt. Well, consequently, he brought his family over to Egypt, and that family flourished unbelievably to the point where it becoming almost overwhelming to the Egyptian empire to have so many Jews hanging around. And so the new pharaoh decides that the best thing to do with these Jews is to make them their slaves. That way they wouldn't be any threat to them and, and to their, uh, their throne. And so anyways, long story short, the pharaohs told the midwives who were delivering a lot of the Hebrew children, he told them to make sure that when it's a male baby to be born, take the baby and throw it in the Nile River and drown it. Horrible thing. But then um, the problem was is that the midwives didn't pay much attention to the pharaoh. They didn't obey, and so um, they, the women kept having boy babies, and consequently, the, the pharaoh was getting really upset. He calls in the midwives, the midwives say, well, I'll tell you what happened here. The Hebrew women are so hardy, they're just delivering these babies. They're popping out like nothing, and so we can't keep up with it all, and so therefore, we've got all these little boys running around. Well, then the pharaoh decides, okay, we can't allow this to happen, so let's just take all the male babies and throw them in the Nile River and drown them. And that's the setting that we have here when we look at Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And so Moses' mother, whose name was Jochebed, is the woman we're going to look at this morning who understood how to spell release. Let's look at the verses. During this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw what a beautiful baby he was and kept him hidden for three months, so a three-month-old baby. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a little basket made of papyrus, reeds, and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the edge of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance, watching to see what would happen to him. But soon after this, one of Pharaoh's daughters came down to bathe in the river, and her servant girls walked along the riverbank. When the princess saw the little basket among the reeds, she told one of her servant girls to get it for her. As the princess opened it, she found the baby boy. His helpless cries touched her heart. He must be the one, the Hebrew children, she said, one of the Hebrew children. And then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should, should I go find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you, she asked. Well, yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl rushed home, called the baby's mother, talked with this, this child, took this child home and to nurse for him. And the princess told her, I will pay you for your help. Can you imagine moms getting paid for nursing? Not a bad deal, is it? So, so the baby's mother took her baby home and nursed him, and later, when he was older, the child's mother brought him back to the princess who adopted him as her son. 
amazing story, as we all know, a very familiar story about Jochebed releasing Moses into the bulrushes. You all grew up probably in that story. But I want to share with you some principles that I gleaned out of this particular passage that will help us know how to release our kids in a better way. So let me just ask you, uh, start with the letter R. When we spell release, R stands for realize. If you look at verses 2 and 3, you'll notice it says, She saw what a beautiful baby he was and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a little basket. There was a point in the very early stages of Moses' life three months into it, where mom had to say, I can't control this any longer. I can't protect my child any longer. I've got to figure out a way to release him. You just saw children being released to God this morning when they dedicated their children to the Lord. You begin actually releasing your kids when? When they're born, right? Because they're not really your kids. They're God's kids. You're there to steward those kids and to make sure that you do the best you can to raise them in the Lord. So the first principle I want to share with you this morning is R stands for realize. As parents, we need to realize that we can't protect our kids forever. You just can't. It's impossible. So what do we need to do? Well, we need to release them to the Lord. Where is the safest place at this point for Moses to be? Release to the Lord, right? When we release our kids to the Lord, that's a safe place for them to be. It's a difficult thing to do. It's difficult to let go of our children, But in reality, we need to, first of all, release them to God. That's a safe place for our kids to be. That's where you want them to be. But you also have to realize we've got to release them into the world. And that's a hard thing. That's a lot harder to let go. Because our world is so screwed up. Our our world, our culture is so messed up. And so it's, it's much easier right now to be far more protective of our children. But there are this letting go of the world. Let me give you some steps like this. I mean, the first time is when you, you let go and maybe you perhaps dedicate your baby. That's kind of a letting go emotionally. But then you let them go maybe when they go to preschool. And you entrust them to a preschool teacher where there could be kidnappers and all kinds of people, right? I mean, you let them go. Sometimes it's maybe kindergarten, and you drop them off at all-day kindergarten for the first time. They're out of your, your, your reach for an entire day. Or perhaps it's when you have those first babysitters come and take care of them. That's kind of a letting go, trusting somebody else with your children. Sleepovers, letting go. How about two-wheelers? You know, the first time they rode a bike, you know, and how you would promise your kid... I remember when I was learning a two-wheeler, my dad said, don't worry, I won't let go. I said, well, dad, don't let go, don't let go. And so what did he do? He let go. He lied to me. And I was looking back and I was thinking, I was so proud of myself and I ran off into the front yard into an elm tree. You know, letting go. I mean, how about this? Camp experiences. Letting your kids go to camp on a missions trip. Oh, here's one. Driver's license. Is that a killer or what for some of you? I know I wanted my daughter to have a Hummer when she got her driver's license. Um, first dates, is that a tough one? Letting go, first dates. Graduations, some of you got kids graduating. It's a tough time to let go. Going to college, or here's one, how about marriage? I know Pastor Clovis is letting go of his daughter Sarah here in another few weeks. That's where the rubber really meets the road, isn't it? Because when you let go of your kids, it really reflects on how well you parented all those years, right? And it's an incredibly vulnerable thing to let go of your kids and to think, how well did I do? Did I mess these kids up? Are they going to flourish? Are they going to grow? Are they going to do all that I've hopefully poured into them? It's a hard, hard time in life to let go. But we've got to learn how to release them to the Lord first 
and then we let him go into the world. So here's principle number two. Releasing our children is directly then proportional to how well we've prepared them. If we prepare our kids well, it's a lot easier to let them go, right? If we've done our job, if we've done the best that we could, and by the way, there is not a perfect parent sitting in this room. If there is, I want to meet you, right? But you do the best you can to prepare your kids for letting go and releasing them. So let's look at the E in release this morning, and that is this. E stands for equip, okay? Let's go back to that particular passage again. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a little basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She equipped Moses the best she could. She gave him the best equipment at that point in time in order to put that basket into, those, into that water. And she waterproofed it and she wove it so that it would maintain some type of buoyancy to at least do the best she could to prepare that child for whatever God had in mind for his future. So let's think about that for a minute. How well do we equip our kids? First of all, we need to know this in Psalm chapter 139, verses 13 and 14. It said, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully, what? Complex. Your workmanship is marvelous and how well I know it. Our kids are complex, aren't they? And a part of equipping them is to know and learn what our child is, how they feel, what their gifts are, what their abilities are, how God's wired them. So we need to know, first of all, principle number three, that God has uniquely created every child based upon what we see here. Every child is complex. Every child is uniquely created by God with their special gifts and abilities and temperaments and all of that. So what's principle number four? It is the parent's job to be the students then of their child's uniquenesses. That's your job to figure out. Scripture says in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, it says, direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. When we think about the right path, what the implication here in the book of Proverbs is, is that you, every child has a path that God has designed for them. And we as parents got to figure out what that path is so that when we prepare them and equip them, we're preparing them as to how God has directed them. So in other words, we've got to be great students of our kids. We've got to be good listeners. We've got to spend time with them. We've got to study them. We need to know them like the back of our hand because that's a part of how we do a good job of preparing them and equipping them for what God has in mind for their life. Because when they grow old, hopefully, Scripture says, they won't depart from how God has designed them. So when I see what she's done here is she's done the best job as a mom to equip that three-month-old baby to survive. So then I thought, well, she waterproofs this thing. And I thought, well, how do we waterproof our kids, okay? How do we do that? How do we, how do, we do that? And I think the best way to waterproof our kids is to teach them to have their own convictions. To teach them to have their own convictions. How do we do that? That's principle number five. Parents must transfer ownership of convictions to their children. This is really a tough one because I grew up in a Christian home. My parents had godly values. And I love my parents and I grew up with those values surrounding me and engulfing me. And by osmosis, I adopted some of those values. But when I got to college, some t- those values started to be challenged. 
And and there were some disappointments in my life. There was hypocrisy that I saw. And I began to realize that, you know what? I adopted my parents' values, and I've never really been adopting my own convictions. I've never had it out between me and God to where I draw, draw the lines in my own life. And so consequently, I had it out with God. I had to come to Jesus moment. I said, God, it's you and me. And we're going to start drawing lines and boundaries in my life that are going to be my convictions. And if they look like my parents, that's fine. It doesn't matter because now it's between me and God. And I'm going to develop my own spiritual personality. So here's the question that I have. How do we transfer then our convictions or our lifestyle, if we can, to our kids the best that we can to get them to own their own convictions? Here's the first thing. Parents must walk in integrity. There has got to be integrity in the home. If there's not integrity where mom and dad have a sense of consistency in their own lives, then those kids are going to see that clearly and they're not going to adopt your convictions. It's as simple as that. I remember one time when I was talking to my kids, my son said to me one day, she said, Dad, I watch you like a hawk. That's scary. Our kids watch us, and they know our inconsistencies. They know our idiosyncrasies. And unfortunately, a lot of times, these kids, when they're growing up, they don't take into account that we're not perfect. And so they see that, and they just camp all over that. Well, my mom and dad's a hypocrite, or my mom and dad are inconsistent. They're not walking in integrity. And what it does, it just gives the child an excuse to not walk in integrity themselves. And so they end up blaming mom and dad for their lifestyle. But that's not the point here. What I want to share with you is if we walk integrity the best that we can, it helps our kids realize that there's some consistency and, and there's, there's a cohesiveness in our family life. Here's the second, second way we can transfer those convictions. Learn to give our kids the whys of what we believe. I mean, the kids growing up, right, when they're three, four years old, a lot of times, what is the question they ask all the time? Why? Why, Mom? Why, Dad? Why do I have to? Why? 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 We need to learn how to give the whys of what we believe. We need to take the time to explain to our kids, this is why it's important. You need to discern why, because if you don't tell them the whys, sooner or later, they're going to challenge it, right? Whys are really important. Third, Get them involved early in their own decision-making. It's so easy in the early part of their lives that we start making decisions for them. And sometimes we, we need to do that because they're totally dependent. But as they continue to grow, it's important that we allow them to make a lot of their own decisions, which means number four here is that sometimes, unfortunately, we need to let them fall. We need to let them fail when they make those bad decisions because that's the way we learn. But if we always protect them from the fall or from making their bad decisions, they're never going to learn. And so it's really important to get them involved early in the decision-making processes when they're five, six, seven, eight years old. When there's an opportunity for them to decide, let them decide. Don't decide for them. So that's just a small way of, of encouraging you to think about how I can transfer ownership and make them grow up with their own convictions. So that's what I mean by equip. Now let's go to the L in how do you spell release. L stands for let go, let go. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the edge of the Nile River. She literally let go of a three-month-old baby. And you can look at it from the outside and say, how irresponsible is that? But you remember, she could no longer hide that baby. And it was what she felt the best thing that she could do to equip that baby to have some sort of life. Well, how should we let go? 
What, what is the way we should let go? And I, I think, number one, it's then, it's got to be by faith. I mean, you look at this mom letting go of a three-month-old baby in a river like that, that took an incredible amount of faith. But you see, she let go of that little baby Moses to who? To God. That, that was the issue. So she, you know, as best that she could, and as vulnerable as that, that letting go was, but she was giving that child literally to God in his future. But secondly, we need to learn how to let go gradually. We start letting go the minute they're born. When that baby takes that first step, we let go, right? And they maybe fall and break and bump their head and bump their knees, but we let go almost beginning immediately. And it should be a process so that when you start with a child, you start here and if you look at a graph and you can see this widening as you go, when they're 18, at that point, when they're ready to maybe leave the house or go into college or whatever, they have been let go all along the way gradually so that when it really comes time, when they really have the opportunity to make their own decisions, they don't go crazy. They've had a lot of freedom and independence to make some of those choices. So when you don't let go gradually, you can really get into trouble. But there are counterways too. Sometimes we, we need to let, we, we let go irresponsibly. So we need to let go responsibly. And what I mean by that is there are some parents who have let go and just give their kids all kinds of freedom to make choices way before they're able to. And consequently, those kids have no boundaries, no accountability, and they have virtually no discipline in their life. That's being irresponsible. So it's finding a balance of not over-controlling and yet releasing at the same time. It's a tough balance. We all walk as parents. But it's what we need to do. We need to learn how to let go. And it's the hardest thing on the planet some days to let go of our kids, right? It's a tough one as a parent. She let go, and she had to let go very quickly, in essence. But let's look at the E in release. E stands for exercise self-control. Let me just kind of capitalize on that a little bit. How easy would it have been, I know if I were a mom at that point, to say, what did I just do? Man, I just stuck my three-month-old baby in a basket on the Nile River. What am I thinking? I'm going to go back and I'm going to take that baby back. There's got to be a way I can hide this baby. There's got to be alternatives, right? And so instead, she set boundaries and she turned away and she walked away. And there are times in our life with our kids that we're going to have to exercise self-control, not to come back and try to save it or control it, but to be able to stand back and allow some of the circumstances to happen so that whatever the consequences are, they understand the results of their choices. I was thinking about a friend of mine named Greg who was at my house here a few months ago. Greg has a 21-year-old son. And Greg was a rebellious kid, and he was in his mom's face and screaming expletives at him and all kinds of things, and he was not being responsible. And so Greg finally said, you know what, son? You're on your own. You're out. You need to be out by such and such. You're going to have to find your own way. We're not going to tolerate this. And you know how hard that was? I know Greg, and he's got a heart like mine, and that must have been just absolutely difficult for him to exercise self-control and not want to rescue him over and over and over again. So finally, he's, uh, the son moves out, and he's delivering pizzas with his, in his car. And, and that's where he's trying to make a livelihood. But, you know, he got some tickets, and he wasn't paying for his tickets. And so he had $800 in unpaid tickets with a suspended driver's license. Now he couldn't deliver pizzas, right? And so he calls his dad, and he said, Dad, I need, could you lend me 800 bucks? And Greg said, no, son, I'm sorry, I, I, I can't. 
I, I won't loan you the 800 bucks. He said, but dad, you know, how am I going to make money? Well, right now his son's living in his car on the street and it's killing him, but he's exercising self-control. And the reason why is that he and his wife had been going to Al-Anon and the people in Al-Anon were saying to him, you know what, they have actual studies and results of when mom and dad somehow come to a point of tough love and set boundaries that 90% of those kids turn it around. And so Greg's just believing this with all of his heart, and he's hoping someday, and he's made it very clear that he, his son could come home at any time when he wanted to figure it out, figure life out. But it's, it's exercising that self-control, not to interfere, not to try to overprotect or hover or, or, or complicate things. It's so critical to kind of sometimes just be able to let it go and exercise self-control and set those boundaries. Here's number five, or what I mean is A. A stands for availability. What's really fascinating about this story, mom leaves, but the sister of Moses hangs out. She kind of is available. So she watches. So the baby sisters then stood at a distance watching to see what would happen to him. So she maintains availability. And when I, what I see here is a principle of this. When you let go, keep your distance, but be ready to listen and not judge. When I talk, talk about Greg again, his son can come home anytime he wants if he wants to abide by the rules. And so he's available if the son's willing to cooperate, if the son's willing to act appropriately around the house. Here's what I see here. Letting go does not mean complete abandonment. It doesn't mean that you say, okay, son, okay, sweetheart, you're out of here. We're done. No, as a parent, especially of adult children, you hang out and you say, when they really need you, when it's really appropriate, be available. Listen. Listen to what they're doing. Help them uh, work out things because as when you have adult children, you know things change a little bit. You're more almost of a, a friend to that adult child than you are a parent to some degree. And you want to be available to them as they try to work through life as an adult. So availability is a critical component, but it's so important to keep our distance and yet say, I'm here if you need me if it's appropriate. So that's A stands for availability. Let's look at S. S stands for C. Now this must have been, I mean, God has a great sense of humor, right? We have been studying in the book of Esther. And what have we said the last several weeks about this deal in Esther? God is always at work behind the scenes, right? Well, here's mom. She goes home, and now sis comes home. Hey, mom, guess what? One of the princes just picked up Moses and she's looking for somebody to nurse and she wants to pay you to nurse your own baby. Are you kidding me? If I were mom, I'd be absolutely ecstatic. So see, what I see here is this. See God work in the process. What's really hard sometimes when our kids aren't doing what we really expect them to do or want them to do It's so important when they do get it right, celebrate that. Celebrate that process. Just see that God is still at work. He's still moving. He's still on the throne. He's still working behind the scenes. Celebrate those little, you know, victories along the way. And I see here a mom who could just see how God was working in in life 
and, and to be able to see that and rest in that, to know that he became ultimately the deliverer of his own people. I mean, just think about all that. The ramifications are immense. But make sure that you stand there and see. Sometimes what happens is when our kids are on a bad roll, we can't find anything very much good to say. But when there's those little moments of glimmers of light and you say, yeah, God's still at work, amen? I mean, some of you can relate to this. Now let's look at number, the last part of the release, and that is E stands for enjoy. Enjoy. We know the rest of the story of Moses, don't we? We know what happened. We know that Moses grew and ultimately became the deliverer of his people, and he let the people go, and he led them to the promised land. We know the rest of the story. And you know what's fun now as a parent who has adult children and grandchildren? It's really fun, and this is principle number eight. Take time to enjoy the wonderful things that have resulted from the wise investment in the lives of your kids. I am so thankful. And my, one of my kids are sitting here this morning, which is a real blessing to me, but to be able to say that of the investment that we made in our two kids, both of them loved Jesus and married somebody who loves Jesus, and that's just, I can't tell you how we enjoy that as we look back. I can remember there were days when I, as a pastor, to say, you know what, if, I don't care how big my church is, I don't care how many people I lead to Jesus, but if my kids aren't walking with the Lord, I think I failed as a pastor. Now, maybe I was too hard on myself, but in reality, there's nothing I enjoy more than to see the results of the investment we've made in our kids as where they are now. It blesses my heart. And hopefully, as a grandparent, we're also investing in our grandkids. And we're just looking forward to our grandkids fully grown up and to watch and see how God is working in their lives and to be able to sit back and see the rest of the story. And isn't it a fun place to be? Those of you who are grandparents here and you see your adult kids hopefully flourishing and doing well because of the investment you made. And some, maybe there hasn't seen some of that result yet, but you know that you've done the best you could and maybe someday God's going to show you about those wise investments. But enjoy It's a great time of life to be a grandparent right now, to be at my age and to look back and see how God has done his work and invested and those investments paying off. So thank you for listening to me this morning. But are you able to spell release as a parent and as a grandparent? Are you able to let go? I trust that you can and that you will. And I hope these have been really encouraging to you. So let's go back again one more time. R is what? Okay, realize. realize. E is what? All right, good. A is availability, right? S is C. I forgot, did I get exercise? Yeah, exercise. E, exercise self-control, right? I'm, I'm misspelling right now, aren't I? <laughs> Why did I do that? Okay, anyways. I trust that you will. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all the moms and dads and grand, grandparents that are here this morning and all the kids that are here. God, we, uh, we, we try hard as a parent. We don't always do it right. But I trust, Lord, that everyone sitting here has done enough, who's walked that life of integrity the best they can, who's tried to equip and invest in their kids and their grandkids, God, praise God for that. We pray especially for moms who love so unselfishly, 
who uh, have done a great job in most cases of really modeling a lot of these principles. So I pray, God, that today would be a great day for every mom that's sitting here and that we would all realize that to spell release is really difficult at times. And so the kids that are sitting here this morning, help them to be patient because it's not an easy job. So thank you, Lord, for these truths. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.